It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Yeah, I am looking forward to talking with my guest today. Joining me is Kevin O'Neill. CEO of PeopleLinks, which is an app that activates social selling to drive more quality leads, make faster sales cycles, and increase conversion rates. So, Kevin, welcome to Accelerate. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, take a minute, introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, may tell us uh, how you got started in sales. Sure. Thanks, Andy. Uh, hi, audience. I'm Kevin O'Neill. I lead PeopleLinks. I got started in sales as an entrepreneur. Um, one of the first quotes I heard, and as I was in a product role, I didn't like was that uh, nothing happens until some, someone sells something. Isn't but that true? <laughs> more true than I, I knew 15 <laughs> years ago and more true every day. Uh, but I took that quote to heart. And as I've been an entrepreneur over the past 15 or 20 years at various companies, I've always looked to how you address the customer's needs. And while I've been in different roles from product to operations to sales, um, at the end of the day, we're especially in a startup company, we're all in sales. All in sales. So I always advise CEOs when I'm working with them, I work with a number of CEOs for startups, is that they really need to get out and make that first sale themselves. I mean, until they really understand how the product is sold and why people are buying, it's, it's really not worth wasting their time trying to hire salespeople. I, I would completely agree. I would say in early stage companies, there is nothing you can do better than putting yourself in the front of your customers um, and probably true throughout any products at any stage of the life cycle, but especially early on um, when you're selling a product that hasn't existed and you're not and you're selling in a process where it's a, not an RFP process. It's very, very important to understand the pain that your customer's feeling understand how to address that nerve and then help make them successful. Yeah, understand what the process is required to help them move from that point of interest to making a decision, what they need from you in order to be able to do that. that that's correct. Very interesting. Okay, so what was the impetus then for starting PeopleLinks? So PeopleLinks was founded by two, uh, two guys that were in the first 100 employees at LinkedIn. Um, they left the company in 2009, they left LinkedIn in 2009 and started the company as they saw a real need uh, for people to be able to use LinkedIn and other social networks in the sales process and not just in the recruiting process. So hopefully hopefully they're hope, <laughs> happy about the Microsoft uh, acquisition of LinkedIn. I think the Microsoft acquisition is really exciting for the industry. I think, you know, as, as recently as probably 24 months ago in many sales calls, I was still answering the question that, are you sure these, uh, these Twitter machines and LinkedIn networks are going to stay around? Really, I think the, the Microsoft acquisition validates the industry and really validates the channel that the way that people will interact in the future, uh, a lot of it will come through social networks, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and probably networks we, we don't even know about yet. So as so I didn't mean to interrupt. So if you go back and tell us about people links and then maybe answer the question, do you think that the besides sort of validating this idea of networks is is this acquisition of Microsoft, is it going to make your life easier as somebody that works within this LinkedIn, LinkedIn ecosystem? So I, you know, I believe that the acquisition helps uh, validate it for large corporations, validates that LinkedIn is part of the process and will be used to collaborate not just for recruiting uh, or across your own network, but really in all parts of 
of the organization. And so I think it makes it easier. It definitely in the past four weeks has spurred interest, uh, not only in us, but in the industry as a whole, um, which I think is a good thing. All right. So people links again, let's get back to that. So sure. what specifically does it do? So people links is a social is a software platform that helps you integrate social selling into your existing sales process. So today you have four channels to talk to your customers. You can talk to your customers through the web. You can talk to your customers through the phone. You can talk to your customers uh, through email, or you can talk to your customers through social networks. And in each of those, in most cases, companies have tools. So through the web, they have uh, marketing automation tools and other tools for their marketing teams to use. Through phone, they have tools that are dialers and email. They have tools that help manage email flow. Um, but most companies still have not rolled out tools to help their sales team use social as part of the cadence that helps them engage with customers. Why? You know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a new channel. Um, I remember earlier in my career a debate that I had one time about how were executives ever going to use email? And as we look around now, actually, the debate was really about not just email, but it was whether executives were ever going to use email and whether regular employees were ever going to use cell phones and laptops. <laughs> and I think the key to both of those technologies being adopted, not just by executives or by employees, is that they really make us more efficient. And so if you think about efficiency and you think about what salespeople want to achieve is they want to be able to reach more people uh, more often and interact with them in an efficient manner. And so while we initially thought of social as an efficient manner for interacting about our grandchildren or our children or our old classmates, um, social has become a way to more efficiently interact with everyone in our lives, and that includes our professional contacts. So let's look at the other half of the equation. I mean, we talk about efficiency being doing the right thing and effectiveness doing the right thing right. Does it also help effectiveness? So I think it helps effectiveness when done correctly. And I think this is a really important point to think about is there are tools out there that help salespeople automate. And when we talk to our customers and when we work about how we're going to engage with our customers here, even as our internal sales team, we talk a lot about the risks of automation and that sales still needs and sales probably will always need to be a level of personal interaction and that Social networks, when done correctly, can be a place to help people understand, help people introduce each other to each other, help people understand and become credible with each other, and then people uh, engage through that channel in an efficient manner. At the end of the day, though, probably very few sales, if any, are going to be closed to a social network. So a social network is a channel that helps us uh, grow relationships more quickly and helps us engage in those relationships, but it can't be the only channel through which we use, especially in a sales process. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if if people, if we use the expression, people buy from those they know, like, and trust, it, it really addresses some of the know-like aspect of that equation. Uh, correct. I mean, think about how uh, we used to interact before LinkedIn and before social networks. I mean, if I wanted to find out who you were connected to, Andy, I'd have to call you, I'd have to get on your calendar, I'd have to ask about a few people. You might have some ideas for me. Um, today, I can go on to LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, and I can see the types of people that you're engaging with and, and ask for that introduction and, and gain uh, background and knowledge. So clearly, the no part is the first part, which is the knowledge. Um, the like part you brought up, I think, you know, lends into the credibility. Um, you use the word trust next, but surely 
based on seeing who else you've interacted with, which types of things you've published, all of a sudden I have much more credibility um, at a very early stage in my relationship. And then surely I have to now use that channel um, respectfully and no differently than I would use the channel of having your desk phone or your cell phone number. Um, you know, I, I need to use that channel in a way that helps me build a relationship uh, rather than eroding it. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I, I love the sort of the analogy or the metaphor. <laughs> Is it an analogy or a metaphor used about the, the, the personal the personal number at their their desk, uh, whether it's cell phone or or their desk phone? Is I don't think too many salespeople sort of is that analogize it that way to say, yeah, okay, um, I got to be really cautious. You know, I just can't pick up the phone and call somebody at random, yet I haven't earned that right. Yet you'd see that they would tend to still keep sending them emails or engaging outreach on social. Yeah, I think that is a very, uh, you know, it's a a very important skill to be taught. And I think it's a a difficult one to learn um, in today's channels, whereas you, a lot of your channels, the human interaction doesn't happen immediately, um, but the annoyance might. And uh, especially as we have remote sales teams, um, one of the things we talk about a lot in our platform and, and one of the things our platform does in teaching best practices is it's really hard to learn what's right when you don't can't have the conversations around the water cooler. So I'm not watching my peers um, because salespeople work remotely or they work independently. Um, but I do need to find a way to get to the cadence that helps my, helps people and makes people want to engage with me um, versus having to engage with me. Right. Well, you recently wrote something that I thought was really interesting. Is, is and I'm just going to quote here. It's uh, you said uh, sales enablement technologies are built to guide, coach, and create process, not to provide a quick fix for a real business challenge. And I think a lot of sales leaders leaders would be disappointed to hear that. <laughs> um, I hope they're not disappointed, but I, I understand <laughs> your point. I you mean, I see that so often. Is right? There's this you know shiny object uh, syndrome that people get, right? As the latest technology that's come out, this thing's really cool and undoubtedly it may be cool, but yeah. you're, just, you're just not ready for it. You know, th- this quote is not mine and I, I can't remember exactly who to give, uh, to give recognition to, but surely, you know, the, the saying that a fool with a tool is still a fool um, <laughs> applies here. And, you know, we often talk to sales leaders and we'll ask them how many tools their team is using. And they will typically say four to five. It usually starts with a CRM. There's a dialer tool. There's an email tool. Maybe one or two other tools around social or something. Right, list, list building or something, right? List yeah. building. Yeah, discover order. Uh, but then when you sit down with their sales teams and you ask them to write them all down, they are typically using nine to 11 tools across their organization. And so that five point, that are sanctioned and six that the reps have come up with themselves. That, that's exactly right. And at that point, when you ask the question, and how well are they using the tools, or even to say to the people, like, how well are you using those tools, um, the light goes off that they're probably not using them well. And so when we talk about guiding, coaching, um, and then creating processes, you have to guide people. And guiding is really no different than what you probably would have done in a daily stand-up or through typical training. But we all know in typical training processes, uh, maybe 10%, 25% of the people uh, apply those things, right? Everyone leaves the room. They're all excited. Like, gosh, I just learned the best thing. I just learned the challenger sale. I just learned how to use XYZ tool. <laughs> but you go back to your desk and you, you forget what you were supposed to do and you get busy and, and you don't apply it. So 
the greatest piece that I see happening in the sales industry today is not that the tools are available and not that the data is available and not that I can't touch my customer or my prospect through more channels, but watching it all come together. And that's when sales organizations, I think, can really transform themselves. So if they can, if they can guide and coach in a more efficient manner, in a manner that reinforces best practices, if they can apply tools and get the adoption of those tools um, across their organizations, and they can truly revolutionize their sales teams from what they could do even re- as recently as five or ten years ago. Well, let's, let's talk about the first issue that you raised, which I is interesting. Is that, okay, you survey management and they say, gosh, we've got five apps in our sales stack. And then you talk to the reps themselves and they say, we've got 11. So let's start with that issue is, is how do you as a sales leader begin to get a handle on that? Because Clearly, what the rep, the message from the reps are, or the messages from the reps are, you know, we don't a either we don't like what you did; it's not effective in some regard, or it's not capable enough for what we really need these days. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think like all good leadership, it starts with listening, and no different than we would listen to our customers, we have to listen to our teams. Um, so, our teams have adopted these technologies because they believe they make them more successful. And so, you know, even where maybe organizations, if they have size or they have regulatory needs have put constraints on sales reps, um, the reps have found a way to drive that productivity. And the productivity might be through better lists, the productivity might be through better outreach, the productivity might be through tracking follow-up. Um, different people in different sales roles and different types of organizations have found different ways to apply this. But surely by listening to them, we can then start to look at what makes the biggest difference for our organization. And so it's not as much about maybe standardizing for 100% of the organization, but it is probably about standardizing for that 60 to 80% of the organization where if we even get to this baseline, we can make everyone in our organization that much more productive and that much more successful. And one of the issues I think that maybe contributes to this this uh, increase from six or five to eleven, this increase of six apps that are being used, that are self sourced by the reps, is a desire to not necessarily you know participate with all of their data in the CRM system and the the sanctioned tools. Yeah, I I think that's true, and surely I hear that, and I've heard it across you know many regulated industries. I think that's uh, you know in industries where people really are. Uh, you know, fighting for every sale. I think that is very true. Um, but I also think some of that comes from that the tools that we have given to salespeople traditionally have been for the benefit of the of the management and of the leadership and not for the benefit of the sales rep. Exactly. And so the evolution of the, the newer tools on the market are really much more about how do you take uh, the data in the process um, right, so I have data in my process. I can turn that data into information. I can hopefully take that information, turn it into a best practice, which I like to talk about as knowledge. And then if I can really get people to embrace the whole piece, then that knowledge becomes wisdom. Um, and that's where sales tools were typically built for management to have wisdom. They weren't built for salespeople to have wisdom. And so as tools can start to look at data, break that data down and make the rep more effective, I think they are far more likely to participate and make that information be available to everyone in the organization than to hoard that information for themselves. It also seems like a disproportionate amount of the tools that we see coming in the sales automation space really seem to be geared toward top of the funnel. Mm-hmm. So sales development, prospecting, proactive outreach, um, you know, through various, various channels. What do you see happening in the middle of the funnel? 
So once maybe the, the opportunity migrates from a inside sales team to you know an AE or maybe if it's a you know field sales force with some inside people doing lead sourcing that you know gets into the hands of the sales rep. Yeah, you know, how does for instance how does PeopleLinks you know support that sort of middle of the funnel sales effort? Right. So we we talk about the fact that in the middle of the funnel is where sales go to die. Um, you know, I think we all sort of have this problem, right? We know exactly what the metrics are that need to be hit every month for the top of the funnel for contacts and new leads. Um, we surely know every single deal coming out of the end of the funnel because we're working towards a monthly number and we talk about all the deals and whether they're going to close in the next you know, two to three weeks. Um, I think that's a pretty standard culture for most sales organizations. The key is what, how do you engage with that middle of the funnel and how do you not forget about it? And we see that as a really, really important piece. And whether it's the PeopleLinks tool or other tools that are out there in the marketplaces, how do you engage with that buyer in the middle of the funnel? Um, and probably more importantly is how do you engage with all of the buyers, right? So we all know that we are selling to 5.6 people or whatever the number <laughs> in your industry that CEB is made famous. Well, that number, there is a wide range of numbers in that, uh, depending on who you speak to. That's, that's, that's exactly right. Well, you know, I know we all know most of the time it's not just one any longer. It might be exactly. two and it might be 10, but it's probably somewhere in between. Um, but how do I engage with those people throughout and how do I engage them in a way that I create value for that person? Um, and not just become an annoyance on their phone or in their email. And so we, we read that data with our tool. We prompt the behavior that uh, organizations have deemed as the best practice for that part of the funnel. Um, and that's a really, really important part of how we engage. Um, I think the other part is that there's this whole piece of the funnel that exists in organizations for the land and expand. And so in many software companies, right, we're getting the initial trial. Um, we're getting the free pilot. Or we're even having a client that says we're going to roll out, but we're only going to roll out maybe five or ten percent of what the potential is within the organization. Right. And certainly, so, certainly in the SaaS space, right? We see that as fairly common. Very, very, very true in SaaS. And so, when you think about you know that model of the sales organization, and you know some people have deemed that the flywheel model, um, the land and expand piece is critical to how we then not only grow our business, but how we make our customers successful. Because the more that we can interact with them at a regular cadence that helps them roll out the next part of their organization, the next part of their organization, the next part of the organization, um, we are going to become a critical piece. And so that, that does take a cadence. It may be our cadence or it may be our customer's cadence, but it surely takes one that's repeatable and, and, uh, and definable. Mm-hmm. Now, you also say you have a five-step program to help a company ensure they're getting the right ROI on the tools, the sales tools they invest in. Yeah, you know, maybe we can go through that quickly so people sort of understand. Because I think it's a great thing that there's not the sort of set and forget thing about, yeah, we bought this application, go go learn it. And so you first talk about, you know, you have to sort of keep it in front of people and keep talking about it like in your internal newsletter or your communications you have to your sales team. Uh, we do. And so I think that's a, it's a really important part. And I think this gets back to, you know, salespeople will use um, tools on their own. And we actually call that random acts. Um, but I think it's important to let salespeople pick the tools and really test what is going to work in your organization. So the first step of our five steps is, you know, hey, what are the random acts that are working? What are the anecdotal stories that you're hearing that are lifting salespeople and making them more productive and more successful? The second piece is once you know that, then how do you assess those tools and come up with guidelines for people to use them um, and, then, and create the discussion? 
And Once it's something that, that, yeah, sometimes I see in companies that off, too often it's sort of imposed from on top as opposed to really listening to the sales reps in terms of, because, you know, everybody has this desire to be, be scripted and have a fairly well-defined process. But, you know, reps are going to use tools differently based on their own individual strengths. So how do you sort of make the best practices out of that? Right. Right. I think that, and that's, you know, that's where you want to listen to them. You want to make best practices, but you want to leave guide or leeway for them to be able to adopt them to the process that works best for them. Um, I think where we see organizations struggle is where they either make that policy or the tools too rigid, um, or they simply don't train or even allow for the anecdotal story so that reps can learn from each other. So as reps are spread out around the country or around the globe is how do I take those random acts? How, how do I, let people know about them. How do I help uh, get adoption higher? Help people, you know, train on that tool, train on the process that's going to be successful, and then really integrate to the existing sales process. Um, I think the hardest part is really, you know, our five step is the last piece is integration and optimization is really step four and five, which is once I've started to identify the tools, once I've created the culture where people feel like they can use the tools and I'm training on them, how do I integrate them back into the sales process that I already have, which is the, you know, the last thing that I want is someone have to, having to do something inside my CRM and then do something else inside another tool and then something else inside another tool. And then all of a sudden I have four or five different interfaces, uh, none of which are being used optimally. Well, I think one of the real key problems in this environment is that too many companies don't have a well-defined sales process. So they start layering tools on top of a, you know, hastily constructed sales process or one that's not well documented or proven. Right. I, and we see that, we see that a lot, especially in organizations that are kind of up or out sales organizations where you know, everyone adopts their own methodology. Um, they're successful or not. In today's day and age, we can really use the data, the tools and some level of process to help people be that much more successful, that much more quickly. So you called it an up or out <laughs> I did call it an up or out. I mean, I think that is, you know, there's certain industries where that has been the norm. Um, you know, let's just take like commercial real estate for an example. We work with a number of commercial real estate and there's some, uh, there's some part of that industry where you come in and you, you get your own book of business and you grow it yourself and you're accountable to yourself, but surely there are best practices to be adopted across that business and tools that can support that business and data that can be unlocked to make everyone in that organization more successful uh, more quickly. Um, and these are all tools and data sources that didn't exist as recently as, you know, a few years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, so many of them are, are mobile based that again, that really I think complicates the, the task or the challenge for, let's say a sales leader that wants to have some sort of uniformity in the sales process, but yeah, you've got very easy, if not free access to a number of tools that, that in many cases, yeah, could be very beneficial tools for the sales rep in terms of helping them. In fact, I see more and more being introduced all the time, the sort of personal productivity for sales reps that don't interface with the CRM system, for instance. Right. And they're, they're separate than the CRM. I think that's difficult. We, we really preach that your CRM is the base of every, all the tools you're going to introduce into your organization. And so, and that's really true in most um, if not all of our clients, is that the CRM is the foundation for what they've created. Um, surely there are tools that can sit on top of CRMs. There are tools that can make the reps more productive. Um, but at the end of the day, the CRM is the foundation for what they're doing as an organization. 
Well, the reason I brought that up is they don't interact. It's, it, deliberately so, right? I mean, uh, so I think we have this, we've reached a little bit of a tipping point with some of the t t sales technologies, at least for not necessarily the sales development top of the funnel, but for the middle of the funnel, for the reps, the account execs, and so on, the field reps, is, you know, the, gosh, no one wants to see the sausage being made, or they don't want to show people the sausage being made, you know, what steps are actually going through. And you sort of sense that, that given there's more of these tools being made available, is, is they're going to start gravitating to some of those. And it's going to present a real challenge, I think, for sales leaders. It, I, I agree. It is it is a real challenge for sales. It's a real it's a real challenge. But of course, like any change, it's a real opportunity because I think the productivity being driven from these tools is exactly why reps are searching them out and why they're utilizing them. So, and so if uh, they get the productivity they want out of them, if they become more effective, then they can sort of say, "Well, see, I did that without <laughs> without having every step uh, recorded in in Salesforce.com." Do I really need to do it? Did I just make my case, or did they make actually make the case the other way? Yeah, there's there's probably an argument on both sides, but I would say that uh, you know if you can take the best practices and apply them, more often than not, the numbers are going to hold true. That your the people that follow it are are going to be the most successful. Yeah, very interesting, uh, Kevin. This last segment of the show, I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests, and if you're ready, we'll jump into them. Sure, Andy, thanks. Okay, so the first one is a hypothetical scenario I posed to all the guests. You've just been hired, you, Kevin, have just been hired as a new VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out, and the board CEO is anxious for you to come in and get things turned around quickly. So, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, but, but what two things could you do the first week on the job that could have sort of the biggest impact to start things going in the right direction? Yeah, I love the, I love the question, Andy. Uh, you know, it's the, setting those initial foundation when you come into any new role in an organization, especially on the sales side, is is so critical. Um, you know, the first and foremost, the thing that comes to mind is is listening um, for two reasons. One is that you want to listen to the people that are in the organization and what they see in the field, what they are hearing in the marketplace, and what they know. Um, but the second thing is that I think it's a really important. Uh, cult part of the culture and that you want to encourage your people not only for you to that you're willing to listen to them but that they should be listening to their clients um, and that gets me to the second one which is that what is the what's the problem that we're solving for our customers how are we making them win um, I often ask organizations are we trying to make this does this person want to be famous or rich or both and how are we going to help them do that and I think framing up that question and then really listening to our customers has driven the, the success of the sales teams um, that I've seen in, in my career. So knowing what the customer wants to achieve. Yeah, so such a cliche because we talk about it all the time, but you know, reflecting on it and actually achieving it, is, it takes so much more work than, than just a couple sentences. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not like it's embedded in our DNA, right? It's, it's something we always have to be conscious and thinking about. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's so okay. Well, great answer. So now I've got some rapid fire questions, and the first one is: When you, Kevin, are out selling your services at People Links, uh, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's yourself. Uh, you know, you are always selling yourself, and I I think to you know when I've been in small companies and large companies, and surely in large companies, you have the benefit of the brand. Um, and the knowledge and, and of what that brand is known for. But surely in small companies, you are the brand. Um, and I think more and more so today, 
your sales team is on the stage of your brand. I mean, in the past, maybe the, the brand was our umbrella and we all sort of stood behind that brand. But today, you know, all of your people have a face. And so they have a face on their LinkedIn page. They have a face on their digitally. They, they have a mobile device. Um, they're in touch with clients, both in their, their personal and, and professional life. So, um, you know, being who you are and being passionate about your business and making your clients successful is all a piece of, of how that client perceives you. And it's what drives your success. Yeah, no, I agree. Salespeople, first line of differentiation, more than the product, it's your salespeople or yourself if you're out selling. And to your point, yeah, hopefully all your people have, everybody that's listening, if you have sales teams, everybody needs to have a profile picture on their LinkedIn (laughs) profile. I'm still still surprised at how many requests I get to connect from people that have no no picture. Um, We'll help them. Yeah, yeah, you can help them with that. So who's your sales role model? So I was, uh, I was benefit. I really had the benefit of working for a guy named Matt Gillen. who's a local entrepreneur here in Philadelphia. And to, in my experience, Matt is the best at the enterprise sale. He has led numerous B2B sales companies and he really knows the art of the B2B sale and how to sell to large organizations. And so he's, he's been my role model in there for the, over the last 15 years and, and continues to be. Was there one particular thing you learned from him that you could share? So Matt is very, very good at listening. Um, He's very, very good at going into see little people, understanding their pain, and then uh, learning from the industry and coming back around uh, to solve that pain. So one of the the most uh, important things I've learned from Matt is how you can go through an industry and talk to, say, the top four or five leaders in that industry, understand the pain that that industry is facing, go back. Be, be a great entrepreneur, spend a lot of time on the whiteboard, brainstorm what that solution could be, and then go back and get in front of the people and really create value for them. I mean, in many regards, you know, Matt is a consultant for them uh, for free prior to making any sale. Right. All right. Next question is, what's one book that every salesperson should read? So I'm biased towards crossing the chasm. Um, okay. I Jeffrey really Moore. think that crossing the chasm does an incredible job of displaying how people adopt new technologies. Um, but I think specifically for the salesperson, you know, surely the crossing the chasm was written mostly for product people, but crossing the chasm for salespeople, understanding where your product lies in that life cycle and who your buyer is, is really critical. When you are selling an early product to a, a strategy leader or a transformation leader, um, much different sales process than when you're selling the, your product to an established market and an executor uh, in that marketplace. And I think how, helping salespeople understand where their product lies on that, um, that is just as important as helping them understand you know, many of the other things that we teach across, uh, across the sales skills. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's an interesting point about that. That that is, we could, you and I could spend time talking about this after the show. But an interesting question to raise because I, I agree, crossing the chasm, great book. But my my belief is, my contention is, and this is primarily from a tech standpoint, is because I've seen it is is that as you get further into the life cycle of the product and you're selling to new customers, that actually they are almost more difficult to sell than any others because the fact they haven't adopted means that perhaps they're less sophisticated, less nuanced in understanding, less whatever, right? And it actually becomes a more of a sale about selling. You're still selling innovation at that point. 
Yeah, and you really have to be very mindful of that. I think people tend to sort of say, yeah, we're later in the life cycle. Everybody should understand this product. And they they lose the fact they really almost have to listen more carefully to these people because if they had made it easy, if they had found it easy to make that decision, they would have done it earlier. Right. It's a, it's a great point and so relevant to the space that I'm in and, and you're in today, which is how our sales technology is being applied, where there are organizations that have their stack of sales tools built out and they know exactly how they integrate and they've made investments and process and procedure. Um, and there are other organizations who haven't gotten there at all yet, but that doesn't mean that they won't get there. But I do agree that it's, it, it's a tough sale. Yeah. It's a real, you're selling innovation at that point. Okay. So, uh, last question for you. What music's on your playlist these days? <laughs> so I'm biased towards Coldplay. Uh, I might be stuck, maybe dating myself, but <laughs> Coldplay, Coldplay, Jack Johnson, uh, some of that. I probably have way too much kids' music on my. I just got back from my family vacation, so I have a lot of kids' music. What, are the, what yeah. are the kids listening to these days? Besides uh, Taylor Swift. Yeah, they like Taylor Swift. Um, they definitely like Taylor Swift. They like a lot of kids' music, but I can't put the name on the, the artist right now, but it's good. that. All right, yeah, just you got to pay attention to the names. I, yeah, at some point we'll come back and we'll talk again and we'll expect some uh, some contemporary names from you. That's right. Thanks. All right, well, Kevin, thanks for joining me. Tell folks how they can find out more about People Links. Uh, sure, We'd lo- always love that people come to our website and learn about People Links. If they're adopting a social selling program at all, we uh, would welcome the chance for them to come talk to us. And uh, we are we do a webinar once a week that. Uh, teaches social selling skills as well as reinforces many of the tools that you would use uh, to make your team successful. All right. So that's people links, people L I N X. just so people understand dot com, right? That's correct. All right. People links.com. Well, again, Kevin, thanks for being on the show. And remember friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success and One easy way to do that is to subscribe to this podcast, to accelerate, take a few minutes, go to iTunes, subscribe, then you'll make sure you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Kevin O'Neill, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.